Hello and welcome to Frank Skinner's Poetry Podcast. I used to be an enormous Elvis Costello fan and my favourite Elvis Costello album was Get Happy. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Get Happy, but what I loved about it was its rich abundance. There were so many good tracks on Get Happy. I thought, wasn't he in any way tempted to make two albums out of this and make twice the money? Cynical, I know, but hard to get around. I have in my hand Dry Salter by Michael Simmons Roberts, a collection of poetry which is some 150 pages and which reminds me of Get Happy in that it is rich, rich, rich with 15-line poems. That's what it consists of, many, many 15-line poems and so much good stuff. Michael, didn't you think, well, there could be three collections in this, but I'm glad you didn't because this little fat poetry book is, it's such a lovely thing to have and there's so much, so much good stuff in it. I'm going to try and give you an example of what I mean. So let's go. It begins with a poem I'm beginning, at least, with a poem called Face to Face. Let me read you the first few lines. Oh, glass houses, we wake to find all tile, brick, stone, released from its opacity. Oh, engines of change, walls are windows. Okay, Face to Face. So it's called Face to Face, and I would say a theme of these poems, or some of these poems, is about visibility, about seeing and not quite seeing. And the ones I've chosen certainly include that as a theme. Okay, old glass houses. I love these sort of classical invocation at the beginning. Oh, glass house, very poetry with a capital P. It's impossible, I think, to use the word glass houses without thinking of the proverb about people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, which I think means don't judge others for faults that you have yourself. And I think it's easier to sit in judgment of others if you don't look at yourself too much and if you don't allow others to look at you too much. And this is what the poem, I think, is at. Oh, glass houses, so that's exclamation mark, that's done. We wake to find all tile, brick, stone released from its opacity. So we wake up and very simply, the houses are see-through. They are glass houses, if you like, in that they are, as he said, released from its opacity. That's what's happened to the tile, the brick and the stone. So now suddenly everyone is living in see-through houses. And I like the use of opacity because opacity does mean not being able to see throughness. But also it can be used if things are quite baffling and hard to understand. So maybe we're going to see more than just the physical through all this 
see-throughness. We're gonna we're gonna see what people are like on the insides. Our engines have changed. Another invocation. I love it. It's again. Oh, engines have changed. The world is changing here. Walls are windows. Bang. Three words summing up the whole thing. Engines of change, obviously, by the way, are things that make change happen. I'm sure you knew that. Next bit. Neighbours wash, dress, eat with one eye on each other in coy and countless liturgies that echo through the city. Okay, neighbours now. Wash, dress, eat with one eye on each other. So there's no hiding place anymore. Everyone's living in these see-through houses. In coy and countless liturgies. A liturgy is the order of, of, of mass in a religious service. But it's any order, I think, of events, significant events, any sort of repeated rituals. And I guess that is something that we all do in our lives. And these being able to see all these people living their lives and repeating their daily life means that there are countless liturgies that echo through the city. Echo, I think, because when you see into these people's houses, you realise they're actually doing quite similar things to me and living quite a similar life to me. And maybe that's a good thing to learn. Next bit, exhibitionists stand naked face their walls and shave. Shy ones nail up sheets, then watch as they rinse clear. So some people are really embracing and enjoying the see-throughness of the world now. Exhibitionists standing naked face their walls and shave, so they're not even turning their back to the walls. They're really, as they used to say in the 60s, they're letting it all hang out. Show ones nail up sheets, then watch as they rinse clear. So this, this end of opacity, this see-throughness is ongoing. You can't just cover it up. Anything you try to cover it up with is also made see-through. So you are stuck with it. And it ends like this. Now, by night, I'm going to have to brace myself. I love this bit so much. It's so beautiful. Now by night we move, lie, love in a galaxy of bedside lamps acting out our silent no's. No is a very stylized traditional Japanese theatre. N-O-H-S. No's. So... You can't hear these people, but there they are performing their lives for their neighbours. And that now by now, and I love the now, even the now. We got used to it now. This is how we live now. We've got used to our glass houses. By night we move, lie, love in a galaxy of bedside lamps. So I love it. And this might sound like horror to you, this, this poem, the idea of living see-through lives. But I've always been a bit dubious about the glories of privacy. It is my belief that privacy gives us paedophiles, domestic abuse and bomb factories in council flats. 
And I guess this poem is challenging all that. So if we see each other, if only we could look through the walls and not just the walls of the buildings, but maybe each other's walls, we're all quite similar. We're all following liturgies that echo because they're, we are like each other. And that's a good thing to know. I'm, I'm moving on. Uh, you get the sense of that poem and what how beautiful it is, I think, and interesting and worth talking about, which is so true of all of these poems in Dry Salter by Michael Simmons Roberts. But I want to do at least three because I want to give you a feeling of the abundance of the collection. OK, the next one is called Through a Glass Darkly. And um, many of you will instantly recognise that is a quote from St. Paul from the uh, King James Version of the Bible. St. Paul, I think, possibly Corinthians 1, don't quote me on that. When he says that when he was a child, he didn't really thought like a child, etc. He didn't really understand the world. He saw through a glass darkly. So it was like he saw the world as if looking in a glass, in a mirror, not quite clear, not, a bit confusing. And St. Paul says that that's how we live our lives not quite seeing clearly and understanding clearly. But when the afterlife comes, when we are with God, then we will have this 2020 vision. You can see again that we're talking about seeing and half seeing as we were in, uh, in the previous poem, Face to Face. OK, through a glass darkly. Just want to give you the first two lines. Mist can be a form of mercy. All precision gone, all detail lost. Mist can be a form of mercy. I've got to tell you, when I first read this, it reminded me of something that happened to me on a motorway services when a woman, I suppose she would be about 50, said to me, can I have my photograph taken with you? And I said, yeah, sure. She said, hold on, I've got to put the beauty filter on. Now, a beauty filter, I hadn't heard the phrase before, sounds like it filters out beauty, but it does the opposite of that, at least in many people's opinions, not necessarily my own. And so she put the filter on and we both looked like that alien that you get at the end of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, whose features are whited out by light and mist we both looked like that and I said oh do you want to do it again and she said no that's perfect so it reminded me of that it's a sort of I suppose it's the same urge as the impressionist painters the idea that the world is more beautiful and more bearable if it's a bit blurry I, I'm sure they had deeper philosophies than that the uh, impressionist painters I think they probably thought that you saw the key and important things if you took out some of the detail that gets in the way anyway as opening lines go mist can be a form of mercy is a, is a is brilliant I think all precision gone all detail lost now sort of counterintuitive because we sort of generally think that precision and detail is a good thing but here that's being challenged okay I'm going to give you some more of Through a Glass Darkly. Cataracted hawks hunt woods for motion blur. 
then stoop into the slipstream of their prey. I pray for days like these, when cars are lit cortèges. I can't say that word. Cortèges. You know, like a procession. As for oceans, fog is respite from the ache of holding surface as a clear line named horizon. So much, so good, so sparse, so economical. Okay, cataracted hawks. So hawks whose sight is impaired by this mist, as if they had cataracts blurring their vision. Monet, I think, had cataracts when he painted his, um, certainly most of his water lilies, his famous water lilies paintings, and they got blurrier and blurrier. So cataract as a good thing here. Cataracted hawks hunt woods for motion blur. So suddenly these these hovering birds of prey are not, seeing um, rabbits and whatever it is. They're just seeing motion blur. They're just seeing signs of movement in the mist. Then stoop into the slipstream of their prey. So it looks like they've missed. If the slipstream is there, they've, they've just missed the actual creature that have arrived seconds too late. And that is, I suppose it means it's a day for escape, in all sorts of ways, the speaker is suggesting mist can be a form of mercy in this very graphic form of escaping the sort of uh, precision and detail of life. Animals are not being got by birds of prey because um, they can't see so well. Cataracted hawks hunt woods for motion blur, then stoop into the slipstream of their prey. I pray for days like these, when cars are lit cortèges. I think that means that cars have got their headlights on because it's misty and they're having to go very slowly because of the mist. And so it gives them that feeling of like a funeral cortege, like a procession, gives it a sort of a gravitas. As for oceans, fog is respite from the ache of holding surface as a clear line named horizon. And that's a suggestion there that the sea has a sort of a duty as this grim responsibility to hold surface so that it looks like horizon. It's like the sea has to be tensed. The sea has to be standing to attention in order to give this clear line named horizon. And this, this mist, this fog as it's now become, gives the sea a day off from that. Like the bricks that were released from their opacity. Just the world going, oh... Just, I don't have to be me today with a capital M. The sort of the stress of duty and of appearances has been released. Last bit. All 15 lines remember these poems, so we can move through. Forensic summer gone. Now we live in close-up. Flaked face of brick 
frostbitten verdigris and icicles on statues. A world drawn tight. Look up. Stars are gone. It's just us. Forensic summer gone. So obviously the bright light of summer which shows every detail, which shows all precision. That's, that's gone now. Now we live in close-up. Now, at first, I think that seems very contradictory. Forensic, some are gone. Now we live in close-up. I thought forensic did mean close-up. It did mean attention to detail. But this is a different kind of close-up, I think. I think the speaker means that the bright overview light of summer has been replaced by small isolated pockets of focus and light it's like the difference between office strip lighting you know that sort of glaring light and those scenes in films that always give me terrible stomach cramps where someone has gone into the office after everyone's gone home and he's looking for secret documents with a torch in the dark and there's always someone about to arrive and come back because they left their coat or something. Awful. Even talking about it now is giving me stomach cramps. Never mind. Forensic summer gone. Now we live in close-up. We have to live in close-up because we can't see very far, basically, because of this mist. Flaked face of brick. So what do we start doing? We start noticing stuff. Visibility is low, and strangely, it makes... A lot of things more visible. Flaked face of brick, frostbitten. Verdigris and icicles on statues. Verdigris is that sort of green oxidisation you get on statues. So you start noticing all that because there isn't the big picture to notice. A world drawn tight. And I think that means... The focus now is tight. You have to just concentrate on small things that are near to you and not worry about the big picture. Um, but also, I suppose, drawn tight like warm clothes in a, in on a cold, foggy, misty day, sort of very secure and concealing. But we, we localise now. The, the, uh, like I say, the overview has gone, but we notice things we wouldn't notice before but then this last line look up and looking up obviously is is slightly hopeless in mist look up stars are gone it's just us so we can't see the stars anymore we we don't have this sense of being looked down upon we don't have that suggestion of distance and other worlds maybe god i suppose maybe all that is gone that's why it's just us at the end. It's got... I don't know whether that is good or bad news at the end. It's just us. Is that something... Ah, oh, the relief. It's a bit like we're that sea. We no longer have an ache of holding surface as a clear line named horizon. The stars can't see us. God can't see us. Other people can't see. It's sort of the opposite argument to the see-through buildings. It's just us. We don't have to think about anything any bigger. Oh, just for a day to just be. And it is 
Remember, he says that I pray for days like these. He's not praying for it necessarily to be continuous, but just a day where we can just drop our guard, where we can breathe out because we are not in sharp focus. Right. I don't need to feel I'm dashing through these because they deserve a very non-dashing approach. But I want you to go and look at dry salter and soak it up. So I'm just going to do one more. And I think then you will have got a sense of the abundance. There are a few poems about discoverers. Uh, Vasco da Gama gets one, I think, Ferdinand Magellan. But this is, this is uh, Christopher Columbus, this one. And again, lots of lovely things to say and think about. 15 lines, you may have guessed. It's called Discoverers, as I think all the poems in the book about discoverers are called. Okay. What struck Christopher Columbus as his steel toe caps chip the white painted steps up to the citadel? Was the powder blue beneath the white? Eggshell blush below that, flash of emerald further down. History as layers of paint, sedimentary, and underneath them all, spread like a painless contagion, stone. Okay, so what struck Christopher Columbus as his steel toe caps chipped the white painted steps up to the citadel? I'm already getting a sort of sense of brutishness from Christopher Columbus in that he's wearing steel toe caps. I doubt that he actually wore that, but it, it's someone who is brutish. It's something, again, I always talk about how we find ourselves in poetry. Steel toe caps was a thing I remember when I worked in factories. We had to wear them for protection, but then violent youths would wear them as, as weapons. So that that triggers all that for me. Steel toe caps, they are about protection, but they're also about raw macho hostility. What struck Christopher Columbus as his steel toe caps chipped the white painted steps up to the citadel? A citadel sounds possibly, well, I would say either a religious place. I'm, I'm guessing he's in the Americas somewhere either a temple or maybe a place of power, a place where the leadership um, would be met. So he seems to be stepping up these steps towards something very important to the local culture and treating it with some disrespect in that he damages the steps as he walks. Like those horrible um, clips of ISIS destroying antiquity that we used to get on the news now and again. So he's chipping the paint off these steps. And as he says, what really struck Christopher Columbus as he did this, not that he's causing any damage, he obviously doesn't care about that. You know, he is a colonialist after all. Was the powder blue beneath the white, eggshell blush below that, flash of emerald further down. So... He can see, as it says, history as layers of paint, 
sedimentary. And it's like all the people who have been in power here have put their own spin on it, have put their own identity on it. Let's paint it. We'll paint it emerald. We'll paint it eggshell. We'll paint it white. People trying to say this is us. This is our place. We own this. We say what it looks like. And you can see as he chips it away that there's been layers of that. There's been many people who have tried to impose their identity and their tastes on this place. And he's just the latest of those. And underneath them all spread like a painless contagion. A contagion, obviously, is uh, something you catch, something that's contagious, an illness, but something that's unavoidable and also sort of lurking. So underneath all the pomp and all the colour and all the attempts to impose someone's will on this is this stone. Last bit. Beneath the stucco, which is that sort of um, plaster, sort of ornamental plaster, beneath the stucco, pomp and lime wash, every city has a grey heart holds its cold within, unmoved by colour. Not just cities either. Mountains, oceans, rainforests. It all strips back to this. In awe, he kneels and kisses it. So beneath the stucco, beneath that, again, man-made attempt to make something look beautiful, beneath the pomp... And the lime wash, lime wash is a sort of white wash that gives you a, a sort of a slight sparkle. So all trying to make things look fancy and grand. But beneath all of that, as he's realising, as he watches his uh, steel toe cap boots chip away the paint, for all the, the different people who've tried to put their self on this, when you get below it all, none of that matters. Their rain their period of influence chips away but beneath it is this grey heart this this every city has a grey heart holds its cold within holds its cold within unmoved by colour so when you get down to brass tacks the colour the stucco the pomp the lime wash people in power, it all just goes. Not just cities either, mountains, oceans, rainforests, it all strips back to this. So what he's saying, I guess, is at the root of, this is what Columbus is thinking, is at the root of everything is this cold, hard greyness and nothing that mankind tries to do can really make a difference to that. But why does he why does he kiss it? Why does he kneel and kiss it in awe, Columbus? I think because it's the unfiltered truth, if you like, and I think he likes that. I you gotta see, I guess Columbus as a, a brave but cynical individual. And he's here, you know, to gain land and wealth and all that. And 
Yes, so let's not bother with all the ceremony. This is the real truth, this dark grey coldness at the heart of the earth, and I guess the suggestion at the heart of mankind. And maybe as he kneels and kisses it in awe, it feels like that's how he sees God as well, as cold and dark and withheld in some way. So I guess this is the explorer paying homage to the the world beneath all the temporal and geographical specifics, the sort of default earth, if you can say that. And also, I guess, acknowledging that the, 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 the real power is dark and cold and it continues in its original form despite any superficial changes that mankind might like to put on it. I guess it's that grey stone that he finds underneath the paint is a bit like civilization or the world being released from its opacity like those stones. We see through all that and see to what Joseph Conrad called the heart of darkness, if you like. Uh, yeah, that's what I think. Obviously, there are some poems that I never, I can, I, I mean, I might, if I did this podcast, even in six weeks, I might think differently about this poem. But at the moment, that's where I am with it. That's my, I'm at this layer of paint. This is what I feel. Yeah, it feels like the citadels, the collar, even mountains, forests, oceans, they're all a sort of a, I guess a slightly more optimistic, a more dreamer-friendly, I guess poet-friendly covering on the dark, cold truth of the world. That is what I think at the moment. That's what I think at the moment. That's three poems from Michael Simmons Roberts' Dry Salter. As I hold it in my hand, it just feels chunky and packed and packed with good stuff. Check it out. Thank you for listening to my poetry podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you can never miss an episode. Imagine that. And you can also catch me every Saturday at 8am on Absolute Radio. Uh, Less poetic, probably funnier. See you next time.